0: If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, just this beautiful little passage. Uh, but by way of lead up to that, I would like to, to share a story, if you will. It was July of 1961, and 38 members of the Green Bay Packers football team were gathered together for the first day of training camp. The previous season had ended in a heartbreaking defeat that the Packers squandered a lead in the late in the fourth quarter and ended up losing the NFL championship to the Philadelphia Eagles. And they had the entire offseason to think about what they did wrong and how they blew it. They should have won, they didn't, but they had time to think about that. And the, the Packers have been thinking about this for months. And finally, training day had come. The season had come, and now they were getting ready to get, get at it and to learn about how they could advance their game so that they would not let that happen again. Their now famous coach, Vince Labardi had a different idea to which he gathered those 38 players together, and he held a football up, and he said, Gentlemen, this is a football. These are half three dozen men who had just months prior, had to come within moments of winning the greatest prize that their sport had to offer, and he was going to tell them what a football was? And his methodical approach continued as he reminded them and taught them, this is how you tackle, this is how you block. And when he got to the playbook, he started from page one. Six months later, the Green Bay Packers would defeat the New York Giants 37-0 to win that NFL championship. As I mentioned, I meet with a lot of ministry leaders. In these few years, have have issued devastating loss after devastating loss. Some of you, very specifically, had very tangible loss even this week, and others have had loss over the previous couple of years. And for many of these ministry leaders, they're wondering, what, what, "What is my church even at? I don't, I don't even know who's in my church anymore. Who's online? Who's just not coming?" Uh, Where does my ministry fall? And I believe that our passage is extremely relevant to our times today. So if you have, turn your Bibles to Ephesians 2. And just to give you a little background, next slide, please. Uh, Ephesus was an amazing city. This is the library in Ephesus, uh, modern-day Turkey today. I'm amazing places. It was, in its day, it was the financial and cultural center of the Roman world. Next slide. You have colonnaded streets that were marbled. They had marble colonnades, and it was just beautiful. This theater sat 24,000 people. It's a reference, we believe, in, in Acts. Uh, we have all these places. It amazing place. In the, in the same way that New York City influences our world today, Ephesus influenced its world in its day. Next slide. You have beautiful places of worship, unfortunately, to the wrong thing. This was a a temple to uh, one of the Roman emperors, but they were very much a cultural, financial, religious center of its day. In fact, the very first bank in the world was in Ephesus in history. Next slide, and for background, the disciples came from places and villages like Bethsaida. This is a village of five households here. Now, when we're talking about households, they're big households. Archaeologists estimate that um, two, to 200 to 250 people lived in each household. So they're, they're big homes, but there are only five in this village. And if our understanding is correct, that Peter, Andrew, Philip, and probably Nathaniel came from this little sleepy village on the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee. And they were expected to go to the powerful, influential people in this very influential city. And they were expected to know that I have something that these people need. Next slide. Not a lot to this little village, but they had a message that the people lived in. Next slide. That they needed to hear. This is also a household in Ephesus. About the same square footage of the households in Bethsaida, except you would have a small nucleus family of mom, dad, a couple children, and maybe six or seven servants living in that same household, beautiful marble, granite. And they were supposed to bring this message. In the same way that Lombardi's quote in 1961 was able to motivate his team, I believe our passage this morning is that to us that is just as relevant. We often hear from pulpits around the country, we got to live the gospel. This is the gospel, be the gospel. But I, sometimes it's helpful to just kind of step take a step back and ask what 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 is the gospel actually? What does that mean? And I believe we have Paul's answer to that in Ephesians 2. And if you would, if you would please stand for the reading of God's word, and it was read once, I'm going to read it again, but if you could stand for the reading of God's word, you would sit for mine, of course, but out of respect. These are the very words of God. Chapter 2, verse 1. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, in the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and which by nature were children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, but God. Being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He has made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is none of your own doing. It is a gift of God. It is not the result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for which God has prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Thank you. You may be seated. Obviously, a very familiar passage, but can I be very candid with you this morning? You don't know me, so I, I don't know if this is risky or not. Well, it is. I've missed it. I've read this passage so many times, and I this, we have, I think, one of the most distinct, succinct pictures of what the gospel is in Scripture in this beautiful little passage. So we talk about the gospel. What is this? Next slide. Gospel just simply means good news. It is the good news, but for, I'm afraid, too many, we just simply view that as I was going to hell, and now I'm no longer going to hell, I'm going to heaven, that, and Uh, That is amazingly good news. But if that's all you think of when you think of the gospel, I'm wondering if you are actually cutting that short. Next slide. Because the gospel is actually much more than simply salvation. The gospel is more than saving from, but it also includes saving for. And what does living the gospel mean for us today? And so if you will, an outline for us for today is going to simply be this. I'm going to look at four aspects to that. We have the gospel need, the gospel foundation, the gospel gift, and a gospel life. The first is the gospel need. We read this, and you were dead in your transgressions and your trespasses and sins and what you once walked following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air, in the spirit that is now at work, in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Our next slide Genesis 2, verse 17, we read this that you were all once dead in your transgressions, the wages of sin. We are, if you eat the fruit of the garden, the Lord's warned, you will surely die. Well, did Adam and Eve die? Spiritual death instantly, of course, but they actually lived a shortened life, but a full life. So that we're talking about death that is more than physical death, but it's also a spiritual death. And friends, we are all sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. We are all spiritually dead. And this is actually a really important part of the gospel. Can it be good news if I don't realize that I have a need? Hey, good news, you've been saved from your sin. And if someone has no idea what sin is or what that means, is that actually good news? Because they don't recognize their condition. They don't recognize what the, their ultimate destiny is going to be unless... They do something with Jesus and they acknowledge Jesus as their Savior. If you never go there with them, that is actually an important part of the gospel. Simply look at the God's top 10. If I desire something that's not mine, it's a sin. If I, if I, uh, if I look at someone lustfully, that's, that's adultery. If I, the, all these things, you go right down the line, and many of us or all of us would be guilty of most of those. And what is the result of that? Well, dead in our trespasses and sin, we read. Those are some good church words. Trespass and sin. Again, I like to define terms. What is trespass? mean exactly? Because I'll be honest, I really don't use that a whole lot in my everyday world. What does trespass mean? Next slide. A trespass is actually the willful deviation from how you are supposed to live. If the Lord is asking me to go this way, a trespass would be me going any direction other than what he has asked me to do. If you've raised a two-year-old, you know what a trespass is. You have instructed your child, you will do this, and they look at you, and they do exactly the other. That's a trespass. And if you're doing anything other than what the Lord has asked you to do, that is a trespass. In sin, sin is simply falling short or missing the mark of how you were supposed to live. This deviation that many are choosing to live is the way of the world, is following the prince in the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And the result of that, the wages of sin is death, we read in Romans 6, 23. And certainly this is part of the gospel. People need to understand what their actual condition is, but don't, miss this, which Paul writes, among whom you once lived. That's critical. Because when you and I have the opportunity of sharing the gospel with those around us, do not forget that you once were like how that person is that you're speaking with. You are no better off than that person is that you are speaking to. Paul writes that you abided in, or abided in as you could define that as purposely chose to be. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, or lived in the passions of the forbidden. We were by nature children of wrath, or you could say violent passion like the rest of mankind. When you approach that person in front of you that they need to understand what the gospel is. You approach it in such a different way when you recognize if it wasn't for what God has done for me and what God has done for you too, I'm no different other than the grace of God. So we have the gospel need. Secondly, we have the gospel foundation. And this is the most beautiful part of this verse here, but. God. I was dead in my sins. I was was destined for an eternity in hell, but God. I was living in the flesh and the desires, but God. But God. Our condition was sure it was not good. That was our eternal destiny. There was nothing you or I could do about it, but God. And then he talks about his love, God's love, being rich in mercy, Because of his great love. I actually wrote it down wrong as I was preparing for this morning. Because of God's great love for us. Actually, no, that's not what that says. How quickly we like to make the gospel about me. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about God. God's Because of God's great love, and you could put a period there. Because of God's great love, period, with which he loved us. He can't but help but love us with this amazing love. It's hard to grasp. God is 100% love. There is no good expression of love that you and I could possibly do that God is not. This amazing love in which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Now Paul's a Jew, and he reads Scripture in Hebrew. The language I know that we, the original language here is Greek. I'm aware of that, but Paul is one who is, thinks in Hebrew. He probably reads in Hebrew. He studies the Scriptures in Hebrew. Just a point of reference. Lord used Paul to write much of what we have as Scripture before us. The the Scriptures that Paul knew were what we would call the Old Testament today. This was his text. And the language that Paul uses here to describe the love of God looks a whole lot to me like the Hebrew word chesed. Next slide. This beautiful word chesed is where we get many biblical terms from. Mercy, compassion, love, grace, faithfulness all relate to this Hebrew word chesed. But none of these actually completely summarize that word. There actually is no good English word that can summarize all the nuanced meaning of this Hebrew word chesed. Chesed is more than merely an emotion or a feeling, but it involves an action on behalf of someone who is in need. Chesed describes the sense of love, loyalty that inspires mercy and compassionate behavior toward another person. Maybe a way to help us define it is by simply using Scripture to define what that word looks like. Maybe the most well-known passages of chesed is Exodus 34, verse 6, where God calls Himself compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in chesed and faithfulness. And to get a sense that the translators over centuries have had a really difficult time translating this beautiful word chesed, we can simply look at all their attempts of, of, of translating that. The ESV says steadfast love. The King James says goodness. Young's literal translation says kindness. The NIV just simply says love. The NASB says loving kindness. Living Bible, unfailing love. The message, loyal in love. And when you come across that, you can realize that because there are so many, they're related of course, but so many different words used to try to describe that same word, is they're having a hard time defining the word said," which is one of the reasons why I like to go back to the original language. The message of the gospel is rooted in this said. It describes God's heart to his people. When God was describing himself to Moses, he chooses to use the word Hasad. It describes God's heart not only for his people, but for all of humanity. His love is far more simply than emotion, but it extends into an action. It is restoration and continued fellowship with God, with the forgiveness of our sins. God is love, next slide, but anyone who does not know love does not know God before God is love, or John 1, 4, for we know how much God loves us that we put our trust in his love for God is love. This amazing, beautiful love is just simply who God is, and he acts with this love that he had loved us even when we are dead, he made us alive together in Christ, So we have the gospel need, we have the gospel foundation, and then we have the gospel gift. And now to describe this, I'm going to borrow some of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 1, 15, where we read this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel which I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word in which I preached to you. For I delivered to you, as of the first importance, what I have also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day, in accordance to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. If I could take a rabbit trail here briefly, I just would like to note four clauses that Paul introduces with the the English word, that, Uh, but he he introduced four very important things. One, that is he died for our sins. That he was buried also confirms the fact that he is definitely dead. He was buried. He confirms that with his burial. And that he appeared, he rose. That he arose and that he appeared, which is also just as important. It affirms that he actually did arise because people will, will confirm, oh, he didn't really die on the cross. Or he didn't really raise from the dead. No, he did all those things. and It was confirmed by Paul's phrases here that he, he accentuates with the word that For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith it is not your own doing it is a gift of God it is not the results of works that may no man can boast I like to try to make myself out to be more than I am maybe you do too but when it comes to the gospel you brought nothing to that equation Jesus is recorded in John 6. No one can come to the Father unless the Father who has draws him in. If you're a follower of Jesus today, it's because Jesus drew you to himself. The Lord drew you to him. And since there are gifts, it's really not something that you can boast about. Sharing the message is really a humbling thing. Look at what's been given to me, and it's available to you. Hopefully, they will see Jesus and how you live because you, you are someone who is living life to the full because you know what? It is not your job or my job to save anyone. We just simply get to bear witness and bear testimony. Look at what God has done. Look at what he has done in my life. And that takes an enormous pressure off. You're not convincing anyone. You're just simply bearing testimony to what God has done in your life and what you have seen him do. And you're sharing, this is the opportunity. This is what's been made available to you. Because then that brings us to the fourth gospel life. Do you realize the authority in which you and I have as a follower of Jesus? Verse 6, we are ra- He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We are seated next to him in the heavenly places. Do you know what that means? Normal subjects of the kingdom would never sit within the king's presence. If you were to be in the king's presence, or in this case, within God's presence, you would at most stand, most likely bow in the presence of the king, but you would never sit in the presence of the king. Sitting in the presence of the king designates authority. You only sat in the presence of the king if the king has given you specific authority within his kingdom. And Paul writes, you and I have been seated next to Christ in heaven. Whoa. Being seated next to him, we are entrusted with this authority. And he has given us authority to impose his will in the places in which we go. The king's kingdom is simply anywhere where the king's will is being done. Can you bring the king's authority with you tomorrow when you go to work? Absolutely. Can you bring the king's authority as you go to school? Yep. Can you bring the king's authority in your neighborhood? Absolutely. Because the king's kingdom is wherever his will is being done, and you can bring his will with you wherever you go. In the Jewish way of thinking, you would know a rabbi based on his disciples. I don't need to actually meet the rabbi because I know who the rabbi is because the disciples I know are going to want to be and live and act and do everything just like the rabbi. So if I want to understand who the rabbi is, I just simply need to meet one of his disciples. Friends, we are all followers of our rabbi Jesus. It should be your effort, your striving, your goal to be like him. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, you are an example to the world what Jesus is like. So how you doing. How have you demonstrated to those that you interact with what Jesus looks like? Because the gospel is more than simply salvation. It is simply a better way of living. Jesus says in John 10:10, I've come that you might have life and have life to the full. Or the message paraphrases that: I've come to give you a fuller, better life than you've ever dreamed or imagined. And in that, he gives us our purpose. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you recognize the value and the worth that you have? You are his workmanship. Next slide. Workmanship is the Greek word poema, which is where we get the word poem from. Have you ever written a poem? You ever read a poem, you know how painstakingly it is that you look at and analyze every single word in which you write, and you craft it, and you recraft it, and you rewrite it again until you get it just right. You don't just simply put down any word, but you take great care in crafting that. And Paul is essentially writing, you're God's poem. You are God's poem to the world. So when we think about the gospel, our conversion is not the end. It is actually the beginning. Again, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that you are a new creation. And God continues to work in us to make us who he wants us to be. His purpose is to make us more like Christ, to be conformed into the image of his son, Romans 8.29. And the part of the gospel is that we now Get to partner with God for good works. Theologian John Calvin writes this, It is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies should never be alone. We should walk in them. Walk here literally means to be preoccupied. To literally just to go to what God has prepared beforehand so that we should do those things. Walk in Hebrew actually means to literally regulate one's life by. By what? Living the gospel. Because your salvation is not only for you. Your salvation is for those that you will interact with, whom you will come across with. When we make the gospel simply this one-time event, we rob the gospel of so much power. The gospel is beyond saving from, it's to saving for, and it's taking the gift of salvation, it's participating in advancing the kingdom. The gospel is amazing. Amazing. It's learning to live out that is a the gospel is a process, but yet you and I can start to understand what that is like when we recognize our gospel need, we recognize the gospel foundation, we recognize that the gospel is simply of gift, and we live the gospel life. My brothers and sisters, this is a football. It is time we get back to the basics of what we are to to be about doing. I cannot think of a time in my short life that I have seen a greater need for brothers and sisters to live out the gospel than any other time in recent history. Our world is literally dying to know that this is available to them too. We have got to live the fullness of the gospel.